everyone and welcome back to the pod and the pendulum the horror movie podcast that covers all horror movie franchises one movie in one episode at a time i'm your host mike snoonian and joining us once again today from the spectral cinema i'm gonna get this incorrect because my brain is fried from the spectral cinema movie club devon taylor devon how are we I, I was just going to let you uh, see if you could work your way through it on that one. Cause it's funny. I always end up trying, I always end up changing it on the notes for you. Did, I, but, um, did I get it right this time? No, no, you did not. God damn it. No, no you did not. It's okay. Uh, Spectre cinema club, Spectre cinema club. I listened to that show too. I'm awful in my defense. <laughs> I have introduced the wrong show for my own shows multiple times on this podcast so i am using that as my defense i'm still forget i'm still forgiving because this is still uh you know we had the the name change you know the formerly bloody blunt cinema bloody blunts which was easy it rolled off the tongue it did devon it did but you know pods pods evolved so had to had to do that but yeah so so you still got a you still got grace period i feel like if i miss pronounce the name one more time though i'm gonna get on your purge list like all right that's it that's enough possibly is that is that where the rest of our compatriots are we are the the last two standing uh, we are coming to the end of the franchise here you know the 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 new founding fathers found our friends i hope mm-hmm. Well, we are here to talk about 2021's The Forever Purge, and hopefully this won't be the forever episode, like we're recording it and you're catching up as listening and we're just going on and on. But no, it's the 2021 fifth movie in the Purge series. Sounds like there will be a sixth movie, but we'll kind of talk about that a little bit, uh, maybe towards the end of the show here. But I guess before we dive a little bit into like the making of or the background of this movie, let's talk a little bit about our initial thoughts on it. And Devon, why don't you get things started? I really like this one. Um, it's pretty solid. I, it's not far behind the first purge for me. Um, uh, I liked, uh, again, like this is, you know, just getting to see another facet. Um, you know, we've talked throughout, you know, multiple episodes on how we kind of want to see some aftermath of the purge. And I know the, the second season of the series apparently goes into that a little bit more, um, which now after watching this, I am now motivated to watch the series. Um, just because I like getting to see the, the different facets and different corners and, um, this one, you know, didn't go as hard on the uh, political side as the the previous two entries, which bodes a little bit well for me, but yet still having a very relevant uh, political topic at hand. But they also kind of humanize it a little bit more in this one as far as just like, you know, the the race race relations between people um, rather than this like kind of the whole of it all. But 
it was a it was just a nice switch up. We kind of got to see a lot of different things uh, that we hadn't seen. We got to see a lot more daytime purge action. We get to see some aftermath stuff. This is uh, the first one where like the actual purge is just like condensed down. Um, so there's a you know they they again like every entry they are able to kind of keep uh, coming up with some different fresh ideas. So that way you know it doesn't feel stagnant. Um, it maybe not this one might not be as ambitious. And uh, you can definitely tell it um, had some, you know, delays due to uh, the COVID-19. So you can uh, kind of see some of that in there uh, with some of the editing a little bit, um, but still a very solid one with another cast of really great characters. Uh, we got some new set pieces in it. And uh, again, just another solid entry. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a bad movie in this series. Like it's worst movie is like a three star fun watch like I would describe it like this one for me is kind of like the perfect rainy day Saturday afternoon movie where you just like are flipping through the channels it comes on like USA or TBS and you start watching it from like wherever you're at with it like that perfect kind of like action movie that comes on um and it's funny because I did see this on a rainy day uh on its like opening week uh, we were like vacationing on Cape Cod. Movie theaters are opening up again. And I decided like, I'm just going to go to a movie this afternoon since it's not really beach weather. And I would pretty much see anything that was playing in the theaters. Like once they started to open up again in earnest, anytime there was a movie playing, I'm like, I need to go and wear out my like AMC movie, my, my AMC stubs card as quickly as possible and just watch as many movies and theaters again mm -hmm. at the time i remember feeling like a little bit underwhelmed like didn't hate it um uh, but felt maybe a little underwhelmed and that might be because the first purge is so good like it's definitely a cut above the others in this series but it also might be that i just like honestly wasn't really ready for something that felt like it was ripped from the headlines you're like six months from January 6th. Um, it's It was that first wave of like the Omicron uh, variant for COVID. Just so much bad news going on that I think I wasn't ready for something that was going to be this heavy and maybe one in something with a little bit more hope to it. Um, but I liked it a lot more on the rewatch. Like really appreciated what they were going for. Um and I want to say that, like, I do have to continue to give this series credit, even if it's sometimes like really heavy handed or kind of like beating you over the head with the message. It has in the past, like four movies of the series tried to show the experience of like what it's like to live in America if you're not somebody who looks like me, which is white, cisgendered male and handsome uh like that is pretty much like what they're trying to do here is show different experiences so i do credit the series for that yeah it definitely still you know again kind of continues on from the first purge you know he uh demonico hands hands it off to a black director this time he hands it off to a uh, mexican director and uh and it's really cool just uh again like to kind of see it through a different set of eyes while still having, you know, the through line of 
the the premise and like the the world by this point is so established and lived in like turning this one on just like felt like you know just like you said like kind of turning on just another random story within it mm-hmm. while it also is still kind of uh taking it to another level yeah. uh you know it was uh kind of interesting you know where they go from the end of election uh year and then you're like okay like they're gonna um you know they got a win they got a big win the purge is over and then it's like no of course it's not you know so um and still with it with good reason for it to to continue on and i'm very much excited to see um where you know another uh movie will go from this point yeah it feels like it'll be the almost like it will dovetail into the hunger games in that you have like a country that is no longer one country, but a bunch of basically like city states or country states where you have different territories loosely affiliated with one another, with maybe like one draconian central government overruling all of them. It feels kind of like that, which to be honest, kind of feels like the way this country is headed anyways i mean i mean how especially pertinent that this you know takes place in texas which you know everyone always jokes would be the first state to become a country if they could you know like they they want to they don't even joke about it like they yeah they don't joke (laughs) they seem like on a routine basis they're introducing like articles of secession like we should be our own country and they can't keep their people warm in the winter in Texas. I don't know how long they would last, but yeah, I, I tweeted earlier uh, after I finished watching the movie today that you know we have to be going towards uh, the purge, civil war, or or world war purge. Like yep. I feel like that's where it's kind of heading to, and if it does, like I'd be very excited. But with a kind of dystopian, a yeah. uh, Hunger Games twist on it would also be very interesting. It it does feel like the movies are headed to that because there's a hint at the end of the first season of the television show where there's like a news reporter in France that's reporting on the American purge. And she lets a line slip in that like the European Union is going to like take up like articles of debate to see whether they want to have like a purge like event in Europe. And then at the end of this movie, you have like the voiceover. We'll, we'll get to that, I guess. Like the voiceover at the end talking about like the government essentially disbanding and American citizens like taking arms up against the forever purgers. So, yeah, we there's again like um, it, it's so fascinating that you know that there is just limitless potential into this premise mm-hmm. and it can literally branch off into so many different ways and and that harkens back to like what i said last episode like on just like this being just like kind of one of the best like premises like yeah. in in genre films like and just the way that's going i'm surprised the tv series didn't get to do more seasons just because again there's just so many different ways it could go yeah i'll be honest if they go in a direction of like ordinary american citizens fighting back against the forever purgers it feels like that would be a very quick war because like what am i going to do like hit someone over the head with my like love lives here yard (laughs) sign you know versus a guy with like an ak-47 it feels like it would be over very quickly for me so it should be interesting to see where that would go 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I could I could still see it um, because then that would kind of maybe get into some more of the the morality of it because like we mm-hmm. kind of get to see glimpses of it here when you kind of see um you know these like you know wealthy cowboys kind of have to turn into you know what they don't want to be mm-hmm. in order to survive. So I could definitely see um, the the take on like you know seeing different glimpses on like how it changes, like you said, the ordinary person to be, mm-hmm. to, you know, harden themselves to be able to take the forever purges on. Yeah. Also nothing but love for our Texas listeners. We joke and we kid, but we, we love you folks in Austin. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk very briefly about some of the background of this movie. Um, so Monaco talked about feeling that the first purge was going to be like the film series end and that it was going to transition fully to television, which it does to a degree. Like there are two seasons of television at about 20 episodes, but with the success of the 2018 movie, it's pretty obvious that there's still a pretty wide audience for these movies in theaters. Like the first purge is still the most successful of the series against a budget of only 13 million, which they make, they put every single penny of that movie on the screen at 13 million. It brings in over 137 million worldwide. So when you're that, it's, it's hard to like say, okay, we're going to just end it here and we're going to end it on a high note. Um, Because there's just like such an audience for it. Right. I mean, you almost have to make another one. I mean, again, like there are just so many opportunities for this premise that like this is like one of the few series that I'm like, yeah, like you literally could just keep going. Like Mm -hmm. it's like it, you know, five movies in and there's still so much untapped potential. And like, again, if it's if people are coming out to see it, you know, and it's making money, like, why wouldn't you? You know, like this is like one of the very few um things i could think of that i'm just like the fact that there's five movies in that i could like comfortably say you know i would take at least another three (laughs) do you do you think this is like the quintessential blumhouse franchise because they've done like a number of movies they have obviously paranormal activity is what put them on the map there Mm -hmm. are like the two sinister movies the insidious movies the happy death days but is the purge like the franchise that might be like most closely associated with the studio? I mean, I don't know if it's the most associated because I think, you know, there people are still somewhat surprised when they see the box office numbers and they're like, Oh, like this is like a, like, you know, very strong series, but it's again, like, you know, it's not a series that people have like, super strong feelings about it's just like it's a very you know reliable series so i think in that way it became how blumhouse um honed in on their like this was them finally tuning their model and you know and like from not only the the production standpoint on you know giving these you know uh slightly uh i i'd say small to mid-range budget would kind of be the um region for it um between that but then also um their marketing i think this is where they really figured out how to be able to uh tap into the the you know social zeitgeist with their marketing and you know really 
uh, pull people in and like that's mm-hmm. you know uh, where they you know garner a lot of interest in them. like you know most recently we saw it with Megan that was like again a mass you know a masterpiece of Blumhouse work as far as you know building a successful movie sure and I think it took a lot of cues from the things that they learned of building the Purge franchise but it's also like low risk so it's like I feel like they can kind of they could still you know have a misstep with a purge movie and be okay but they don't it's you know again it's just a very sturdy reliable series and it's it's also it's not just blumhouse putting these out it is in conjunction with like michael bay and platinum dunes as which i didn't realize until this movie when i saw the logo i was like platinum dunes i was like tight (laughs) i like that i did not remember that Platinum Dunes was involved when we started recording this series. I think they jumped on board with Anarchy and that it kind of makes sense because starting Mm -hmm. with Anarchy, you have four movies that really are much more action movies. They feel like um, Michael Bay light type movies in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way, um, but they have like, much more of like this is the most action oriented series that we've ever done uh, probably until we get to blade at some point which we were talking off air about what to fill this year with and <laughs> i mean you know. i know you'll be in for all three of those so <laughs> we may have to revisit this conversation um I think I don't know if listeners like when we like plan the show on air. I don't know if they feel like I think they do. It's like little Easter egg little Easter eggs. If you're, a, if you're the dedicated fans, like, you know, you know, in advance before anyone mm-hmm. knows, you know, yeah. so I think I think they like it. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I think this would probably be uh, the, the closest um, apart from maybe Predator also is like a pretty stark balance of action and mm-hmm. Uh, but this probably, uh, yeah, leans a little bit more into it. And uh, you can definitely kind of see the shift as, you know, the first purge kind of is the most, um, you know, horror, uh, isolated horror within itself before the rest of the series. You, know, you think the first purge is? Oh, the first purge movie. First purge movie. Okay, got it. Got purge it. Movie. Sorry, I misunderstood. Damn, titles got us again. I know. It, it's, <laughs> damn it. Um, okay, so James DeMonaco is back on board to write. So, and again, he is very much like a Don Mancini figure in that he has had his hand in every single one of these movies and the television show, in that he was like the showrunner for the two seasons. He wrote and directed the first three movies, and he writes part four and part five. And he's already written part six, he has said in interviews. And in an interview, with Fangoria's uh, Alice Wax, he talks about like where the idea came from and what he was aiming for. And I have a little quote from that interview when she asks, like, what did you want to accomplish with this one? He says, it's the weirdest thing. And this is the truth. I wanted to write a love story. The studio was terrified when I said that, but I really had this thing in my head about this couple coming from Mexico, immigrating to America and seeking the American dream wondering if the American dream was even alive. That was really the seed of the thought. I think the studio got on board when I came up with a conceit that we didn't stop purging in this one. The purge can no longer be contained. The virus of violence couldn't be stopped. So they got really excited about that. But the seed of it all was really about immigrants exploring the American dream. 
So what do you think of those two conceits? Like the idea that first it's a love story and B uh, that it's really about the American dream and who it's for. Uh, I, I really love both of those actually uh, definitely felt the love story angle of it uh, between many uh, members of the, of the cast. And I thought that was actually uh, a really good way to like kind of humanize the series again, because after, you know, a few movies, it kind of, you just of seeing people getting shot and murdered all the time, you kind of get a little bit um, less personal and I, in the first purge, you know, kind of introduced that back in. I felt like this kind of even uh, pushed that a little bit mm-hmm. further as far as uh, kind of really humanizing it. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. Uh, that that made a lot of sense, uh, you know, to, you know, with the even though there's a couple, you know, cor- corny lines in there, like, I don't want to bring my baby into a world of hate, <laughs> like, you know, like the things like that. Yeah, it's a little corny, but at the same time, I like the the earnestness of, you know, just the the kind of idea of like, you know, like love still being a strong form mm-hmm. even within the purge universe and then um and then yeah as far as uh the cannot be contained that you know really goes off of uh your uh psycho uh, psychoanalysis bit from last episode uh you know going into is is it um you know is one day enough like you know and like would that truly satiate and what how that would happen so, you know, that that kind of goes into it perfectly and also is a good reason for them to keep yeah. the movies going. You know, after, he, like you said, he thought that um, the first purge would be a good ending. Um, it, it's just it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like the the love story bits between uh, Eduela and, and Juan are pretty strong in this one. You definitely sense the connection between the two you sense. And it's not just all lovey-dovey, like even the little bickering that they do with one another feels very lived in and feels very authentic. But even when they bicker, you can still feel like they really get along. And we contrast that with the original Purge movie. And I remember rewatching it and thinking like, do the Sandins even like one another? (laughs) Right? Yeah. uh, Yeah, you could kind of, I mean, I guess I felt it a little bit more in that one. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, like, I mean, it, I think that was just a classic case of like, no, these kids just suck because they kind of suck as parents, um, you know, but I think it, it, at the end of the movie, it does like kind of still pull through on like the true love that they have for each other. Um, but yeah, this one definitely did still feel a little bit more, uh, a little more genuine. And like, again, like kind of seeing the the different angles of it um, between, you know, um, uh, Josh Lucas and his wife. And then, and then we also even get like a little budding romance of, of Harper and TT, which is mm-hmm. like also just being like, Hey, look, you know, you can still find love even in this yeah. life situation. So it's like, I even, that as the bullets are flying. So are the sparks. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think like Lena Headey in that first movie, there are bits where she's channeling her inner, like Cersei Lannister and she's able to, give Ethan Hawke like these really withering glances, which lesser men would just melt into a puddle of goo. Like they just would not be able to withstand it. But there are times when she looks at him in this movie, like you fucking dolt, like look what you've gotten us into again. Um, But I feel like here there's like a lot more, like you said, all around with everybody, a lot more warmth going around here. Yeah. And, and to touch on the American dream part of that quote, um, I think that that is also very pertinent into 
you know, I think today we do still kind of question, you know, what the American dream truly is. And I think there's still, uh, uh, you know, people are very uh, optimistic about it, but I think naively at, uh, at best that like, that we, you know, like, yeah, there is still an idea about what is that truly. And like people still, it's like kind of one of the like last things that people like want to cling on to as far as like from the, the before times of, Mm -hmm. you know, everything that's happened in the past 20 years. So I think, uh, examining that in this again, is like being able to use this premise as this very big bombastic, crazy thing to exaggerate, you know, being able to explore that idea to be like, Hey, okay. Like, look, like, let me put it in your face. And then like, let's, you know, actually kind of take a look at that. So, uh, I really, um, think he nailed it there too. Yeah. It's something I think that we really struggle with. And I think we'll talk more about it when we get into the weeds of the movie a bit, like this idea of the American dream and the myth of the American dream at this point, but also this movie wrestles with who is this country for, right? Like what does it mean to be an American and what does it mean to look like an American? And I think that is something that these movies are really, I don't want to say wrestling with because I think they do have like a very focused point of view and there are very clear antagonists throughout the series. Um, Okay. So like the first purge, DeMonico writes it, he does feel it's important to have someone with a more lived-in experience to tell its character's story. And with the focus, focus on immigration here, specifically Mexican migrants, DeMonico hired uh, Everardo Gout to film his script. And Gout was someone that didn't have a lot of experience in feature films. He had done... The action movies Days of Grace uh, back in 2011, Uh, but he had done a lot of episodic television work in between that, including the show uh, Banshee. Uh, He had worked in a lot of TV, so he was, to be honest, like with something like Blumhouse or it's low budget, you shoot very quickly, kind of the perfect director for something like this, where he's very able to kind of move very quickly and assemble a movie very quickly. Um. Gout talks about his experience working with DeMonico. And he said one of the things after reading the script that he worked with James on was he, he's like when he's reading specifically the interactions between Adela and Juan or Juan and Titi, he's like, look, this doesn't really feel like how Mexican persons would speak to one another. Let me kind of work on some of this. And DeMonico was like, great, let's get it right. Um, so DeMonico and, and uh, with gout supervision, like changes a lot of the dialogue around or like the the tenor of the dialogue. Um, and one of the things that kind of has come across in each of these recordings, it seems like DeMonico is a guy that is super easy to work with. Um, he doesn't seem to possess like a massive ego where which would be like easy to have like yeah. in this, like, you know, you've gotten to do this much, you know, but just, uh, yeah, I definitely just like get like a very uh, humbling uh, vibe from him that like, you know, he appreciates like the opportunity he's gotten. And then, you know, now being able to give opportunities to some of these other directors as well is just like a, a really cool thing. Yeah. It's a guy that this must be the most profitable horror series of the decade of like this in the past 10 years, because 
with the exception of me, even it, like there's so much money that is spent making those movies and marketing them. You figure at the end of the day, like the purge series is probably even more profitable and it would be pretty easy to have an ego and say like, look, I'm the architect behind these. I know what I'm doing. So it does speak really well to DeMonico saying, okay, well let's make sure we get it right. And even after this, like Jason Blum has said, I really want to do a sixth purge movie. I'm only doing it if DeMonico is on board though. I mean, you know, we've seen it in multiple series that have been covered on here. And like you already shout out Mancini and then, you know, even previous series, um, Don Cascarelli, you, there's a certain, there's a certain uh, tonal consistency that you get when you kind of have this person shepherding mm-hmm. the, the entire thing and getting to keep it, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. it's even though like, you know, certain films kind of go uh, in certain areas, you know, one way or another, they still all, all kind of have that through line to them. And um, being able to have uh, someone, again, like you said, like uh, being able to find someone that doesn't have the ego, but does still have the, you know, mental fortitude and bandwidth to be able to, you know, carry this yeah. entire thing out is like a very hard thing to find. So like, you know, Jason Blum is uh, smart in uh, keeping, keeping that in. I think he sees that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Gout talks about making this movie and like some of the challenges working with the budget. We think... 17 million to make this movie like that's her budget. That's not a lot of money considering how big the scope of this movie Mm -hmm. is in some of the action set pieces. And again, just like the first purge, like you can, it feels like every single dollar of the budget went onto the screen. Like you could see them like, okay, we're going to have hot pockets at craft services because, (laughs) you know, we have another, action thing to film so gout says in an interview with collider the biggest challenge in the movie was definitely the budget you read on the script page america collapsed and then you look at the budget and say uh how many extras did they say for that scene 30 what the hell how am i gonna do that it makes me go back to spielberg not the spielberg from the hundred million dollar movies right now shots fired but the original spielberg from jaws where because the shark kept on breaking down, it was terrifying. It was so terrifying because you don't see the shark. We had to choose our battles and have see-through windows, our 20 extras doing their thing, and then you believe the whole universe is about them when it was only that. Yeah, I mean, it, that's something I think about, you know, as an aspiring director, just uh, like kind of handling things of this scope um, is uh, like just intimidating beyond belief but Mm -hmm. uh, very interesting to do it on this budget and because you kind of uh, do see it in this movie of uh, pushing the budget to its limitations as far as like you said like the scope of this is pretty big and uh, some of those shots work some of them don't you know and when they're really trying to like have this kind of scale uh, to it and um, so it does kind of show that you know they are kind of pushing the limitations I think um, you know if they were, you know, to go forward and like, again, like kind of go more towards this like actual war uh, scenario, they're going to have to put some money, like more money behind mm-hmm. it. Um, so I'm intrigued to see if, you know, Jason Blum does have the the confidence, like it sounds like he does like, okay, put your money where your mouth is like, why don't you give this next one, you know, mm-hmm. good 25, 30 million, you know, like really let them uh, work a little bit. And I can't think of any of his movies that have bombed. 
Do you know what I mean? Like even the mm-hmm. movies that aren't ridiculously successful, I don't think there's anything that has been an outright like, oh man, we lost a fortune on this one. And I do think a lot of that is because you have such a model that you adhere to. It'd be interesting because you could just kind of take some of that money that you've accrued during this series and say, yeah, we're going to just shuffle a few extra here and let's see how we do. And I, I don't want to see them become a studio that all of a sudden is doing like a hundred million dollar horror movies, because I don't think you need to do that. I like that. This is kind of a playground where you're not going to get all of the money you want, but you're going to get all the creative freedom that you want to tell your story. And I think that Mm -hmm. can make for much better storytelling. Yeah. That, that is where, you know, the increased budget would happen. But again, like, you know, the considering the the consistency that this has had and uh, with DeMonico's track record with the series, like, you know, I feel like uh, the series is more than earned uh, an extra five or six mil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll talk really briefly about the casting of this. We have our three leads. We have, uh, Ana de la Regulera. Am I going to say that pronounce? Am I saying this correctly? Ana de la Regulera. Uh, yeah. Oh boy! One more time. Ana de la Regulera as Adela. Uh, Tenoch uh, Hureta is Juan. And if I mispronounce this one, Josh Luke. <laughs> Josh Lucas is Dylan. <laughs> Um, and again, in my defense, I pronounce I pronounce Lee Wannell's name as Lay Wannell for about three years. And we got like a two star review. Like he keeps mispronouncing Lee Wannell's name was the critique in the review. And I'm like, oh, dear. So uh, I just can't pronounce really easy words. But uh, Anna, she was probably best known or first known to American audiences in her role in Nacho Libre, where she played one of the nuns. Um, And she built a pretty Mm. steady profile in America. Like she's worked in Mexican cinema and television for like really since the mid nineties. And Gout said he wanted like a 40 something year old woman to play the lead here. He wanted like a, a woman that had like a lot of lived in real experience out in the world. But here in the U.S., like she was a series regular on the show, Goliath. She had a recurring role in Narcos on Netflix, a recurring role in the show Power, which I think is stars. And then she's like second female lead from the top in Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, which came out like a few months before this one did. Uh, Huretta, his big break is a... Mexican television show called Blue Demon, which is a Lucha Libra wrestling dramatization. He plays the Blue Demon in that. It ran for two years and 65 episodes, which is like crazy. Um, but he is the lead. So it looks like out of like a Rey Mysterio Jr. type character. Um, I kind of want to watch it now. I kind of want to see it. That sounds so freaking cool. Um, sounds fun. Um, he's the, one of the heavies in tigers are not afraid, which have you seen that? No, I, I haven't so seen good. that one. It's been on my list for me, but, um, I'm kind of in that mode to watch anything, uh, Huerta is in, um, cause I, you know, he's, uh, the best thing of uh, black Panther as, uh, as Namor. Um, she, 
Yeah, that's his big thing now. Like he's mm-hmm. getting that Marvel money. Yeah, he's getting uh, that. You know that Namor. Uh, Namor, right? I haven't seen yeah. uh, Wakanda forever, so yeah, Namor um is uh he's he's fantastic in it so it was a uh, it was a nice little treat uh seeing that he was in this and uh also continuing uh the tradition of hunks in the in the purge series because uh yum yum mm-hmm. is he okay oh yeah he looks oh, a yeah. little he doesn't look super hunky in this one so did he like bulk up was he on like the protein shake and steroid diet for black panther then no, because he's like a because he's like, I mean, he's like big and built in it, but he's not like okay. all like he's not like, um, it, you know, impossibly cut like uh, okay. the ones are like he's like a realistic like uh, hunk okay. that one. Oh, yeah. OK, so he's not like the rock who is in his mid 50s and <laughs> basically carries a pharmacy around in his veins. Right. I mean, we can say that. Right. I mean, that's. Yeah, it's uh, it's getting a little, uh, it's getting a little sus there for uh, the yeah. Rock and uh, Hugh Jackman uh, in yeah. there. Uh, but um, but Huerta, he he really he he's really built in, and he just like he has that presence, like that really <laughs> commanding presence that uh, you kind of get to see okay. a little bit in this. I feel so bad for Hugh. Side note, like Hugh Jackman probably hasn't had a slice of bread since like 1998, <laughs> right? Just feels so bad. Um, I just picture him like going to a bakery, buying a loaf, like smelling like a nice, warm loaf of Italian bread and then like slapping himself across the face, repeatedly yelling, no, just over and it, over it, again. It, uh, he's like uh, he's like the scene in a dodgeball when uh, mm-hmm. Ben Stiller's character is uh, shoving pizza slices down his pants. Thank you. That's exactly what I was trying to think. <laughs> Poor of. guys. Important Poor- remember. Get, get the get these men a, a slice of garlic bread. Oh, my God. It would be all over. He would have like one, you know, he would go to like Popeye's once and it would be all over for him. All right. Uh, our third lead, Josh Lucas is Dylan. Again, this is just a guy that has been everywhere. I'm looking at his IMDb. There's four million credits, but he's been thing in things like American Psycho, Hulk. Uh, Ang Lee's Hulk from 2003, A Beautiful Mind, Sweet Home Alabama, The Lincoln Lawyer. He was the lead in the TV adaptation of The Firm, which, wow, that was a thing, uh, in Ford v. Ferrari. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised you you didn't uh, know more about him. Like, yeah, Josh Lucas has uh, been one of those guys for the, yeah. for the past uh, 25 years, and uh, he's fantastic. He's He's literally so... Uh, again, uh, steady. Like yeah, I'm gonna say, mm-hmm. steady in this movie quite a lot because, yeah. like, uh, it's kind of the film itself. But then Josh Lucas, that it kind of has been him for a while. Yeah, and I've always, uh, I always want him to get like more like actual like like pronounced leads. You know, like I think he need, he needs to do something weird. Like I mean, he's done some genre stuff here and there. Well, he did yeah. Session Nine, and that's yeah. where I best know yeah. him from. He's Hank. He's the dude who gets the uh lobotomy pick through the eye and he's the guy that's always giving like he steals david caruso's woman basically in session night he's so good in that movie yeah oh yeah he's really good and uh but i think we he, he needs to get darker like i don't know what yeah. it is but uh he's uh definitely um he plays a lot of very smug sure uh, guys in in the movie he's in and he's uh you know smug as ever in this one <laughs> well someone liked him as a cowboy because he is 
he's basically like a young Kevin Costner. He's young John Dutton in Yellowstone, which I've never watched a single minute of that show. But apparently it vastly people either say it's really conservative porn or super liberal. It's like one of those like, is this dress blue or gray type of things? Like what color is the dress? Like people go back and forth on what where are Yellowstone's leanings? But, you know, good for him. Regular role in like the number one show in the country that I have never seen even a second of. It is aggressively mediocre and mm-hmm. and but non offensive. So it's a CBS television drama. Basically. Oh, 100 percent. OK, 100 percent. OK, got it. Got it. OK. Um. All right, so the movie is shot in San Diego. Again, $17 million budget, but six and a half million bucks of those sweet tax credits. So good for them. Um, November 2019, it's shot in San Diego for about 25 days. Sections of downtown uh, Pomana are used to convert storefronts into fictional storefronts. And then they finish off filming uh, February 2020 in Ontario, which is not in San Diego. True, they got the, that in just yeah. under the wire. Oh shut, my god! You're right. Oh man, like because the world shut down March, March. like yeah, mid March. Wow, that's mm-hmm. wild. Uh, it was due to come out July 2020, but then you know something happened, uh, and in May they announced, okay, we're going to postpone this movie. It eventually in April of 2021, they say the title will be the first purge and it gets like a initially a July 10th release, but then that's pushed up a week for July 2nd. Um, It does feel like like with the Saw series, they say if it's October, it's Saw. The purge (laughs) is definitely like they target that July 4th weekend Mm -hmm. for the past few movies of like, we're going to own this weekend when it comes to genre. Which is smart, right? I mean, again, it's like you can kind of count on it. They do come out in quick succession. If you can say anything about the Purge series, it is that they commit to the bit. Mm -hmm. They certainly do. Um, Unfortunately, it's the lowest grossing of the series. It brings in about 77 million worldwide, 44 and a half million in the US and Canada. Comes out at number three behind Fast and Furious 9. And family business. Both of those are universal picks. So if you're universal, you have like the three top movies in the country. And I think they, what I read, it was the first time that that like one studio had the first top three movies in about like 15 years or so. Hey, I mean, it may be the lowest grossing of the of the series, but I mean, 44 and a half million in Biden bucks isn't bad. Mm-hmm. No. Um, you know, for and it's still a good turnover for yeah. I mean, it's still a, a good profit for for the uh, for the budget, yeah. even though it did still uh, just not uh, percentage wise, you know, that's uh, yeah. that's uh, what Blumhouse is uh, really known for is like kind of getting mm-hmm. like high percentage like yes. returns. And uh, so, yeah, maybe not enough in that way, but I mean, yeah, still enough to keep going. Yeah. And I think that's why we don't have like a happy death day three. Cause it's like, it's like, no, it's not that that movie didn't make money. It just like the second one didn't make money. It just didn't make enough. Give me so it was kind that, of cutting. Give me that fucking movie, Jason. I swear. I, I, I feel like you owe Christopher Landon one. He's done so much work for them. 
that like let him finish. Like I, I kind of feel like you know, yeah, every time you hear like this one's for the boys, like this one's for Christopher Landon. Like, come on, let's do this one. Um, yeah, I I don't remember particularly, but it feels like this was right around the time it, it comes out the same weekend that like Biden says COVID is over, which famous last words, because it feels like immediately after he said that it's like COVID starts staging its major comeback. Like if it was a wrestling match, it would be COVID hulking up at that point. And the numbers started to really go up. Theaters maybe started to like limit attendance again, or people just stopped going to theaters for a bit. Um, and also this one gets like a home release, like July 29th. So it's only about three, four weeks after it hits theaters. And if you know that, if you're like, mm, so I want to pay like 15 bucks to see it in a theater or 20 bucks to see it at home and I can have as many people over as I want. You know, that was another real thing. And there's you just you don't get those numbers on like video on demand and how it did. Oh, interesting, because that's like a that's another, uh, I guess, them able to be like, OK, well, this is the fifth movie in the franchise. So, like, let's experiment a little bit mm-hmm. with this uh, release strategy that we're kind of uh, seeing debated upon a little bit uh, more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, interesting, you know, they're always a, yeah. a little ahead of the curve. Yeah, I remember like 2021 was the year that Warner Brothers released everything theatrically on HBO Max the same day. Um, it's definitely the the year that we saw the window between theatrical and on demand or home viewing like drastically shortened, like really cut down to some cases as low as like two weeks. And again, unless it's something that someone desperately needs to see in a theater, you can see the appeal of that $20 rental or $25 to buy it and watch it in home in your own comfort as much as you want. Cause going to the movies ain't cheap anymore. Yeah, no, but I mean, I would still, you know, <clears throat> I would still make a, a solid argument that these are, you know, um, Cause I'm kind of upset that I haven't gotten to see any of them in a, in a theater. I feel wow, like it would be. Okay. Cause yeah, the, these were all like more first time watches and even the, the first, um, the original one I didn't get to see in theater. So I would uh, definitely be like a, um, uh, be an advocate for this one yeah. to be like, no, you should see this in theaters. You know, you want yeah. it uh, loud with the, with the nice sound design and, you know, and getting to have fun, you know, with us uh, seeing other people like uh, getting excited. And I, I would hope that there's plenty of midnight screenings where people like wear their purge outfits and stuff like, you know, they could they could even lean into that even a little harder. I don't think they'll allow that anymore. I do think. Mm, oh, well, so yeah. there was an, and unfortunately, there was a shooting at one of these movies that did result oh, in two persons dying. Uh, one of them was a, a pretty popular YouTuber or Twitch streamer. And I apologize. I don't have that like right in front of me. But yeah. And so the movie was like pulled from the theaters. Uh, from that theater temporarily. So I do think that we're kind of like no longer going to, you're not going to have like the opening of Scream 2 experience where everyone mm-hmm. dresses like Ghostface. Like that is a big no no in yeah. the day, which is, that's America for you. I mean, right unfortunately. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit about this movie. And I guess 
the first question I have is like in the world of the purge, I kind of want to know what happened during the Roan administration that was so terrible that mm-hmm. eight years later, the NFFA is back in power. And like the first thing they do is not fix the economy, not fix social services, uh, not replace infrastructure, but like number one on the agenda, they bring back the purge. Like what could have been, what do you think could have been so bad that happened that like eight years later, the NFFA is back? Yeah, I I was very, uh, a little upset that we didn't get to see a glimpse of that. Uh, we just kind of get that over the title sequence. Um, and I don't know, maybe that is something that they were possibly saving for the TV series, because I wouldn't expect it to be as entertaining as in a movie form to see that, mm-hmm. I suppose, um, besides maybe some glimpses of it. But yeah, uh, maybe um, I, I feel like that that might be like a TV idea that like maybe the you know people from the NFFA like you know, pulled some scandal within her, mm-hmm. uh, within her tenure. And then, you know, to be able to get people back on their side. Yeah. There's, there's something right. in there and it is super interesting. I wish, uh, that we kind of got to see that, but again, you know, the movie is like, ah, oh, we kind of got to, uh, get back into, you know, purge mode mm-hmm. to, to well, continue on. I, I think you can see in real life when there's one party that a just says no, all the time like we're not going to work with our we're not going to work with the other party on anything how powerful that can be in gumming up the works but also like politics at a local level when one party decides like we're just not going to play by any of the rules and we're going to just do whatever we want to do will of the people be damned like how destructive that can be um I can imagine a world where like she's elected. I mean, we, we saw this when Obama was elected and they interviewed Mitch McConnell. They asked like, how, what's your first priority in working with president Obama, president elect Obama. And the first thing he said was we want to make sure he's a one-term president. And this was a, in a moment where like there was tremendous economic collapse, like the housing bubble had burst, the stock market had collapsed. Uh, we were in the midst of like the great recession and it wasn't, we're going to work with this party to see what we can do to help the American people. The first thing that McConnell says, he was just naked ambition. We're going to make him a one-term president. Mm-hmm. So I think you see like inheriting a mess and then being asked to fix that mess when half of the country says, we're not going to help you in any way, shape or form. In fact, we're going to work to make it worse. I think that's a, the situation you see here. Yeah, I, I do uh, appreciate their their um, commitment to the to the paralleling of the the current times because yeah, they did. Uh, it does say that Rome did go two terms. She did hold it down for the two terms, and yeah, literally kind of having that that mm-hmm. exact thing and uh, you know seeing like you know how hard it is to like truly you know bring down a uh, to bring down a structure like this. Uh, kind of in a expedited form because I feel like it also um, uh, obviously I think it goes into not only the immigration stuff uh, aside, but also um, with um, when you give somebody a right and then like, you know, then like, you know, in you know people's eyes, like taking that right away, aka like when we're kind of talking about more gun reform and regulations, mm-hmm. 
it uh, comes down to like, no, 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 that's a right. And it's like, yeah, that's a right that also hasn't been, uh, you know, amended in the past, you know, couple hundred years. Exactly. So it's like, so it's kind of an expedited version of it in this to where they're yeah. pretty much doing the same thing. Like, no, 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 we were given that right. And then like, oh, but like now, what does this right mean to me after, you know, so many years going forward? It's interesting because I was under the impression that like she was reelected as well, served her eight years and was done. Uh, DeMonico gave an interview in games radar right around the time or about a month after this movie came out. And he said, I wouldn't call this a direct sequel because years have passed and it's quickly revealed that a new regime has taken over. Charlie Roan, whose first move as president was to eliminate the purge, wasn't reelected. It had been gone for years. And I in the mm. divide in America grew. I don't know if that means like it's a few years since 2048 um, and uh, she served her two terms. So or if she was like a one term president and then lost. Um, mm. I'm not 100 percent sure. Yeah. So maybe it might have been like a one term, but then still another like election cycle. Yep. Maybe it still took another four years after that for maybe the, to, to yeah. get reinstated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the world we enter in, in that the purge has been reinstated. It seems like this is the first one in at least eight years, maybe a decade or so. What do you think about like the first 30 minutes of this movie where it is mostly about the it feels to me a lot like the first movie. It's a lot about like the first act, that anticipation leading into the purge night. And then we see a little bit of that night before the movie kicks off in earnest. Yeah, it kind of feels a little parallel to um to the first movie uh in a way that like yeah, it's like kind of um because this is a slight reset in a way, you know, mm-hmm. because like you said this is the first one, so um and it makes sense to like kind of get that that reset factor in to continue on the momentum that we had from the last film. Um so I think that makes a lot of sense and again, I like that um you know, we take just a little bit more time uh, getting to know the people, you know, and getting to know their personalities, the the stories and uh, establishing that because at this point, you know, we know what the purge is about. We know what people do to prepare for it. Uh, we know, you know, we, we know the drill at this point. Like I could almost do that, that public service announcement at this point. Uh, so it's like, we, we, we know it. So I like that. They're like, okay, mm-hmm. kind of cut the bullshit. We know that most of the people that are still watching are fans. So it's like, okay, let's just spend a little bit more time just getting to know these people. And uh, I feel like uh, some of the other movies try to do that, but it feels a little rushed because there is still um, that, that, you know, building up a, 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 you know, for what we're really going to see when we're actually going to see the purge, you know, play out. But since, since we're also not going to see the purge play out in this one, I feel like it kind of makes sense on like the, this being one of the slower first acts of like any of the movies. Sure. You know, you, you said something right there that I really like, and when it made me appreciate something about this series as a whole, and that like most of the people watching are probably already fans of the movies. Like when you're five movies in, I think one of the real strengths about this series, and it's almost like the 80s slashers where you could like jump in, pretty much jump in on any Friday the 13th or any Elm Street and not feel bogged down in... Um, a bunch of minutiae and backstory. You can pretty much watch any of the Purge movies on their own. Like if you wanted to start with election year, that's fine. 
If you want to start with the first purge and then work your way through chronologically, that's fine. If you just randomly turn one on to see what it's about, that's fine. Um, yeah. I really like that about this series. And it's like, until you, like you said before, there are so many stories that you can tell within this universe that you don't necessarily get bogged down in like one person's tale and you have to follow that throughout a whole series. Yeah, I, I would agree, except I would say it, this would probably be the only one that you couldn't watch first. Okay. I feel like this one is quite dependent on, you know, previous information. I mean, yeah, it does still feel like, again, like since this is the first purge for a lot of the characters, it still could, but uh, but I still agree with you actually with just any of the other mm-hmm. ones. I feel like you could kamikaze this franchise and it would, yeah. uh, you know, make sense to, uh, yeah. it, it, it all meet up at the end. I do like that the first 30 minutes you do get to know these characters a little bit because you're not really going to get that opportunity once the act, like once things kick off around like the 31 minute mark, like it doesn't really stop to take a breath for the remainder of the movie. Like there's no downtime. And, you know, I think the casting of like Will Patton is Caleb, like the patriarch of the Tucker branch. Like it's clearly coded like, okay, you're supposed to like this family because Will Patton is like one of those guys that turns up in anything. And he's built an impressive little genre career between the Blumhouse Halloween movies, between the outsiders on HBO. You see him in something. You're like, I like that guy. He's all right. You know, he's, he's my dude. Yeah, he, uh, he definitely, it's funny. He plays another one of those. I would have voted for Obama for a third term type of characters. Okay. Um, he kind of falls in that camp a little bit, but again, he is like so earnest and he does like give like, you know, and his like kind of four scenes really that he's in, he like makes an impact in each one, especially even. I could see him being a libertarian to be quite honest. I could totally see this guy being like, um, I don't have a problem with anybody, uh, everybody. And you kind of, we'll talk more about this later, like the live and let live philosophy of Dylan and the dangers of that. Um, I could see him being, you know, I could see it going either way where like I would have voted for Obama a third term or being like the libertarian. Yeah. I mean, I don't, and I don't always like mean that as a bad thing. I still mean Mm -hmm. that as like, it's kind of a goofy thing, but um, oh. you know, I, I, cause I got worried for a sec whenever, um, they were, he was like giving out the, the purge bonuses for some mm-hmm. reason. I was like getting scared. I was like, I swear if he doesn't give Juan one and he is a piece yeah. of shit, like I was getting worried for a sec. And then I really did, uh, like the conversation that he has with, um, with his, uh, not with his son with Juan. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, like, uh, he, he kind of, he's, he's a little bit like my dad in a way, like. Uh, my dad is a very honest person that will like admit his mistakes and be like, Hey, like I've, I've messed up here. Like I've messed up, but I'm trying. And like, that's yeah. definitely the vibe that I got from him in this scene where he's like, you know, I, I've, I told him, I, I always want my son to be a proud American, but I'm not sure I explained what that really means. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like a really like powerful line. Like as yeah. far as like, you know, uh, one of the, that's like the first thesis statement of this movie kind of said in that line. Oh, I love that. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about how this movie. It the antagonists of this movie divine define America in a very specific way, and that America is very white. It is very male. 
It is very conservative. And this is, to me, like this is basically the first Purge movie that the violence appears like way more coordinated and targeted at specific groups of persons rather than like what you see in the other movies. Most of the violence is like, yes, the idea is like we're going to kill off the poors because that way there's no social uh, social benefits that we have to pay out. And that's certainly an ethos. But this one is very specifically saying these purgers are specifically targeting immigrant communities, persons of color, persons of poverty, and they're making no bones about it. Like that is right out in the open. Yeah, it's um, it's it's fascinating because it's like them. It's kind of a progression of like kind of at a moment where we're at now when you like kind of like you not only have to admit the problem, but then like admit the problem, but then like do something about it versus. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, there is kind of a turn in uh, the purge universe that like, you know, in the in, you know, election year, people are like convinced themselves like to a twisted degree to to believe this thing that they're doing is, you know, meant well. And that they are still like under the guise of like, no, we are doing this for the good versus here is the next progression of that where they go, okay, fine. Yeah, that is, this is what we're doing. We are killing the poor and we are using this to do this. Um, but we're doing this because we're, um, you know, convinced that, you know, America needs to be, you know, pure again, like not mm-hmm. in their like kind of their, uh, you know, way, the way that they say like purifying way of like their kind of you know, moral sensibilities, but like now taking that to the next step of being like, okay, nope, we are going back to, uh, it needs to be pure again, um, of all, you know, white Americans and nothing else, you know? So it's like showing the, you know, the, the, the radical, um, kind of, um, consequences of, you know, getting people to buy into this one idea, but then them, you know, taking, taking, uh, a mile from the inch that you've given. And it's not far fetched from what we hear today in some news outlets. I mean, you can turn on Fox News at any point of the day and they will blatantly say, like, we're talking about what real Americans want. Uh, We're interviewing a bunch of we're at this like diner in Poughkeepsie and we're talking to like real Americans about their problems. And what that often translates to is like rural, white persons of like conservative and Christian backgrounds, whereas this country is a melting pot. I mean, it's I think there's I don't think there's you can draw a direct line to basically this country being on a path to say white America being a minority majority, meaning like less than half the country will be white by about 2050. And I think you see the ramping up of laws that are against persons of color, immigrants, queer persons, trans persons as a reaction to that. It's almost like a last gasp of white America to say Mm -hmm. we have to like really entrench ourselves in power before it's too late. But when we talk about like real American, like real American is very much like the, you know, Asian American that is like operating their own, business and sending their kids to school and paying taxes. It is many, many different persons and cultures. Like there's the beauty, the supposed beauty of this country when it's at its best is like, there's no one real America. 
Yeah, it's um, it, supposed it, to be that. Yeah, it, yeah. What does a real American mean? And that's why, like, when you're kind of having these conversations, that like everything gets lost in translation because everybody has a different idea of what mm-hmm. that is. And this movie, you know, again, will kind of have lines that kind of spelled out very plainly, but at the same time, I kind of like it. And you know, um, between uh, between the three main leads, they all kind of fall on a spectrum. You know, like mm-hmm. Adela is um, Adela is the 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 optimist of them. You know, the that kind of talks about like the you know like America being American is beautiful because like you can come here and you can take this in and you can learn this from this culture and like you know and there's you know these opportunities for us uh versus you know Juan is like you know he is obviously optimistic and he's trying to be but he's also you know uh kind of sees you know the 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 terrors in the world and then mm-hmm. and when you have Dylan he's you know he's on the other end of the spectrum of like where he literally says like the you know yeah I don't have a problem with you but like maybe we should stick to our own and it's yeah. like, wait what uh like yeah so you know the three characters kind of make this like little mm-hmm. spectrum of that and uh so i like that mm-hmm. each character allows us to explore it a little bit right well just the way i i one of the things i like especially in in that first 30 minutes is it shows how the two groups like how the lucas's group and then or the lucas family and then how adela and juan and tt have to experience the purge and it's very much like it's almost like the the way that the uh, stand in Sandins experience it in that they get to go behind like locked gates. They have a, a, an added benefit in that it's such a rural community. It's almost like if you're going trick or treating, you're not going to go to the neighborhood where all the houses are McMansions and it's a quarter mile walk to each front door you're going to go where it's heavily congested same thing if you're purging like you're going to the city because that's where all the action is and the the lucases they're all behind the locked gates the shutters they have their wine the roaring fire they have like guns on tap as well um and then you have the experience that adela and juan have where they're with their whole community Mm-hmm. And it's actually kind of beautiful. And the, the kids are running around playing. There's like multi-generations there. Um, and it's almost, it's a scary environment because of what's surrounding them. Like they're right in the middle of it, but there's almost like a sense of celebration as well because they are with so many, like you see the extension of the family. They're with so many members of their community that they would call part of their family. Yeah, it is very uh, cool to kind of see those like paralleled um, and and even with an inverse there, too, of Adela kind of being uh, very hopeful that like, hey, like, no, this is all going to be fine. And like, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be all good. And then uh, you see, even though the uh, Dylan's family like has all the things ready, he's still on on edge for some reason. Like, oh, my God, mm-hmm. I'm so worried about this. And it's like, bro, like you're 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 good. Like, chill mm-hmm. out, you know, so. Uh, interesting kind of having that um little juxtaposition i get the feeling that dylan is a character that is very much he's rest rest he's wrestling with his masculinity i mean he was obviously like he's not the cowboy that his dad hoped he would be and he's very clearly inferior to one mm-hmm. um in a lot of ways he's a nepo baby like his dad is the one that built that ranch that dylan is going to one day inherit 
so he has all this wealth that he knows he hasn't really earned, hasn't really worked for. And he wants to be seen as someone that can protect his family. He's also scared. Mm-hmm. And he probably can't admit that he's scared. No, like, uh, and that's, uh, again, like, that's another thing that the series is known for is like, kind of, uh, you know, asking, you know, big questions and like, kind of making yourself, you know, ask yourself these questions. Like it's a, you know, very much a turning a mirror kind of thing, uh, in each of these films. And like, that is, uh, Dylan's main arc in this, uh, which is, um, interesting. Another thing that's interesting to me is cowboy actually a job title. I've always thought it was just like the name of a character or something, but I've never heard anybody say you're a good cowboy out loud to I a, think cowboy. so. You might call them a cow hand. Um, yeah, I have no idea what the Tuckers actually do. Like, at least <laughs> when you when you watch Nope, you know that like, okay, this ranch, they like wrangle horses for film productions and they do the training and they're the ones that so you get you know why like Keith David and company why they have these horses. I have no idea what the <laughs> fucking Tuckers do, right? They have horses, they have cows, but we're only ever seeing them walking them. We never see right? like, any anything that they actually do. And I'm like, and they're rich? Like, wait, what 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 do they do? <laughs> what a racket being they're a great cowboy cowboys is just great. You know? Yeah. The cowboy business booming in uh in a Los Feliz Valley here. Oh my goodness. So what do we think of what do we think of um, Will Patton's character of Caleb? We talked a little bit about him, but like once the purge ends, he's basically taken hostage by his employees. And look, I mean, you people can see my Twitter posts. Um, <laughs> I am all for the working man rising up and taking over and and basically breaking out of the yokes of oppressive capitalism. But in this case, like Caleb seems like a pretty good dude, right? Mm-hmm. On a micro level, he's giving everyone bonuses. He's wishing them well, but I don't know what he's paying these people. Like the workers are saying we don't get paid enough. Like we're still really poor and you live in this opulence here. I don't know what their conditions are. It looks like Juan and Adela have like a pretty nice little apartment. Um they seem to be doing okay. Like obviously not on the same level. Um, But he even admits before he's like shot in the forehead. He's like, yeah, like that's the system. I've definitely taken advantage of it. It's, I don't know if maybe he's saying that to buy time for his family, but he's kind of like, I took advantage of the system as it was created, bro. And like, I have the money. Yeah. It's uh, it's very interesting. Cause yeah, on one hand, um, you definitely kept seeing that because like even Kirk, when they like get the bonuses and he's like, yeah, this is to keep the slaves in line. And I'm like, I'm like, slaves, what do you do? All I saw is yeah. you walk cows, like the, the working conditions, like, and this is, uh, I mean, I guess, a, a, like, he's just supposed to be like the most like ignorant person because mm-hmm. like, again, it's like him thinking that he knows what the experience of being a slave is and that he is, you know, so oppressed. And it's like, no, I, you seem to be, uh, doing okay like the things could be uh, a thousand times worse for you so like chill out man like sorry you have to buy last year's model of the ford f-150 sorry about that bro you know what i mean like it's one of those guys right. um i didn't even like because you see in this movie like it's obviously everything is very racially motivated 
I thought the exception here was this original band of criminals in that like they are very much like looking to take over the Tucker ranch for themselves. Like they're going to execute the family and then the ranch is theirs. I was almost surprised they didn't recruit DT and Juan into there. Like, Hey, what if we worked together Mm -hmm. to take this ranch over? Cause I, I didn't feel like they had any animosity towards Juan or TT. If anything, they kind of had some admiration for one. Yeah, uh, I think that would have been the case if that was kind of the whole movie. Because interesting mm-hmm. enough, I remember when I saw the trailer for this, I kind of thought it was going to be kind of a like back to basics, and it was just mm-hmm. going to be like this, uh, this like little uh, squad uh, infiltrating like this farmhouse. I thought it was going to be like kind of on that level because they kind of hid the scale of the movie pretty well in the trailer oh, yeah. of it like getting as big. And it's like, oh no, no, mm-hmm. uh, only phase one, baby. Uh, which, you know, we should have known better. You know, they, mm-hmm. they always give us the goods in these. Yeah. Um, it, so like, uh, but it, it w- if, if that were the case, I could have seen them kind of, yeah, maybe trying to recruit Juan in and uh, him kind of having a morality struggle if it was mm-hmm. stayed on this farmhouse. But yeah, we, we, we're, yeah. we're in and out of the farmhouse with plenty of kills within like 30 minutes and we're off to the races. And they really should have, because if they had taken like 10 minutes to get to know him, and found out that this guy is like doing hand-to-hand combat against the cartel. You're like, you know what? This might be a good dude to recruit on our side here. This might be the kind of person that uh, we don't want to throw hands or like get in a shootout with because he can handle himself in a gunfight. Yeah, but um, but you know, uh, what what again? What what could be in some of these movies? Because again, there's always. Uh, avenues that they kind of got pick and choose where they're going mm-hmm. so uh because because he did feel a little cartoonish uh you know when he's kind of having his whole little uh mm-hmm. heel turn here uh will say though god shout out the the skull cowboys are probably the best looking costumes of like, oh yeah of it's, it's my favorite purge look like they mm-hmm. look fucking cool as hell and I, I i really dig it i think you could pull that off for a halloween honestly i want to like uh, i think you could i i'm a i'm a i'm a growing fan of the the cowboy aesthetic i'll admit mm-hmm. um but like the the cowboy skulls they they look pretty damn cool i'm i'm mm-hmm. another thing that like kind of uh intrigued me about the trailers i remember i was like this is uh they, they got some good looks in yeah. this one and they're kind of the only ones we get the rest of the the rest of the movie uh nobody's like uh masked and dressed up not what? Well, not a fan of the bunnies. Not a fan of the. Uh, oh yeah, we do get Easter, the, the Easter bunny. We yeah, the, eh, they're all right. Yeah, that that that's a little bit much. That seems a little it, counterproductive. Like how's yeah. your peripheral vision in those? Exactly. It feels like you'd fall over yourself very easily, or just like, yeah. I mean, I think you just you, you can't just move around. Those suits are pretty bulky. Yeah. Um, I was excited to see a, 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 a saw trap here in the, in the purge series. That's Good kind point. of, we didn't, we haven't really gotten to see too many. Of those. Good point though. I will give the bunny suit guys credit though, for uh, giving us a saw trap here in the series. We haven't really gotten to see too many of those. Um, I, I very much appreciate that and um, wish we kind of gotten to see uh, a little more of that. Some, you know, some home alone mechanisms, maybe. That was a pro retransition back in uh yeah i one of the things i do like about this series is you get some pretty high-minded ideas about 
social justice and wealth redistribution and the ruling class being out of control. And you merge that with like, what if we took two people in Easter bunny costumes and made them like bloodthirsty maniacs? Like that is kind of fucking awesome. I mean, they, they, these movies, you know, no, no matter how heavy handed with social commentary or things of that, you know, they, they still don't forget to have fun. Like, you know, like we are here to have fun. Uh, We want to see purge things happening, you know, and we get to a little bit more of that. This isn't a Herzog movie folks. This isn't, you know, Michael Haneke here. We're here to have a good time at the theater. Um, One thing though, is the premise of this movie that like, we're just going to keep going. We're not like when the sirens go off, who cares? Uh, We're going to overtime when it comes to our purging. It does feel like a very logical extension of what the purge would evolve into because eventually, and we talked, I, I did talk about like how like in an individual level, persons would be like, well, why only one day a year? But this is something a lot different from that. This isn't just like singular persons going like, fuck it. I'm just going to keep killing because like, that's where my mindset is. Like, this is like a large, dangerous, violent, and very coordinated population segment getting together. Like, this is the kind of thing that you would, the FBI would hear chatter about for like months or years ahead of time. Um, all of these different militias sparking up, right? I mean, this makes sense because I guess if um, if uh, Roan was only in office for one election, then that gives them like kind of four to four to six years to kind of plan this and mm-hmm. like really, uh, you know, take their time with like, hey, as soon yeah. as the purge comes back, this is what's going to happen, you know? So it's like it definitely... Uh, it feels like that, and it does uh, make sense to be able to can continue the story on. Um, but it was quite scary, though, that throughout the film, like you kind of just get more and more information of like realizing how big it is. Because again, mm-hmm. like, I went into this movie thinking it was just going to be like a little group of cowboy guys, and then it's like, okay, now we see uh, it's in the city, and that's like, oh no, 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 now it's yeah. this big. And then like towards the end, we see that they're literally like getting they're taking down military bases and like getting them to turn back away so it's like oh this is like yeah a real big level there's a pretty terrific podcast i think it's called it could happen here and like it, it it's evolved since then but it started as like a, a mini series and it's basically this gentleman talking about like if there was an american civil war which was militia attacks versus like the United States government. Here's how it could possibly go down where the government could lose. And it basically goes a lot into like guerrilla warfare tactics. And that was like listening because I'm of them. Like, of course that couldn't happen. Like we have nukes, we have, you know, all of these like drones and planes. But then you think like, would they actually use that on American people? And like also you think of like smaller guerrilla armies that can go in and can do tremendous damage. And what hit me here, you know, I put in my notes, like this movie coming out after January 6th is like really disquieting. Like when you compare footage of what's going on in this movie and you compare real footage, it's pretty scary how they sync up with one another, but it's not even just that. I mean, I think of like militias in Michigan that, had a coordinated effort to try to kidnap the governor um, in that state. And they were caught, tried, convicted, 
but like it's scary that it's that emboldened at this point like this is the tack that we're going to take yeah because we're only seeing it you know in this like kind of uh like rural to suburban ish region mm-hmm. you know um you know so we don't really get to still see what's happening yeah. like the major cities which they do hint at at the end that mm-hmm. it's like no this is happening everywhere like everywhere um so to like kind of see it there and then like only imagine like what like the, mm-hmm. the metropolitan areas are looking like is pretty wild yeah gout talked there was an interview with scream magazine and he talks about making this movie and he let a little line slip that was telling he was like blumhouse hired me to shoot a movie and i wound up shooting a documentary which i think is like really telling about where we're at yeah like it, the this movie you know is like kind of scary and it it's interesting because it kind of flip-flops back and forth it's like the purge movies kind of respond to something that's happening in real life but then mm-hmm. in a weird way it seems like life responds back yeah. like on uh, this thing so it's like it's like a, a kind of a balance of like kind of these like mm-hmm. weird coincidences of the things that happen afterwards but then also like the ones that are intentional yeah but against all this, like against like some pretty scary stuff, like once again, I think you have like these really, they're not the deepest characters in the world. Like Frank Grillo is not exactly like the deepest character ever in a, a movie series, but like with uh, Adela and Juan, like you have these like two feeling very human characters, but then, you know, Adela can like hoist a sniper rifle, like no one's business. And has no hesitation pumping like four rounds into someone that tries to jump her. I love her backstory in like when they're like, uh, how did you learn to shoot like this? She's like, oh, yeah, back in my home country, uh, we went against the cartel all the time. So it just kind of comes with the territory. It's like the most casual way to drop the hardest shit. Like she mm-hmm. said it so plainly like that. Like, yeah, we we, we made moves against the cartel. We did yeah. damage and then we had to leave. And it's like, wait, yep. to, uh, re- rewind that back for me. Um, yeah. I, I do love that, Um, you know, the series gives us a good variety of, you know, obviously we have our friend Grillo's and we have our uh, Dimitri's, but then we also have these badass female characters as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I always wish we, she's like similar to, um, to what's her face in uh to, in election year um um uh, uh laney uh yeah. i wanted to know more of her like backstory that she was like oh she was this like legendary purger back in the day and like now she you know drives this ambulance around i could have watched the whole movie of that you know because like she's interesting so it's like i like that uh we kind of have a little variety when they say legendary purger do you think that's like when i was growing up they had like tops baseball cards like and you wanted to get like Ken Griffey Jr. or Mark McGuire's like rookie card. Um, do you think there would be like purging baseball cards and like I want her rookie card, what her stats like her? Oh, her we, first I mean, purge year. we one hundred percent have stats and subreddits uh, in this world. Mm-hmm. I mean, is in the future past us. So I mean, yep. of course they're 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 definitely doing that. And then it's like a combination of that, and then just like also just like. Uh, having like the wildest story, you know, like who knows? Yeah. What would like the card based, like Magic the Gathering style game look like for the purge in this world, you know? Because you could definitely see it being monetized. I mean, it's America. Well, Everything 100%. Would be, there's a buck to be made. Yeah. I really like her character. Like when she, and again, the idea, like it's hinted early in the movie when they're like, all right, just follow the roses if you ever get in trouble. 
this idea that like the migrants that have come to the country still understand like, okay, we're going to be perceived as outsiders here. There's going to be a chance that we're going to need to come together at some point. So they've set up their own network. So their own people can get together and find one another if the shit ever goes down. Cause they enter the country at a time when there's no longer a purge. Like they come one year before it's reinstated mm -hmm. and then they're like, Oh shit, we're going to have to like survive through this. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. I like that they bring in that communicative uh, approach because it also like kind of juxtapositions with Dylan's character of, you know, at first he has to be like convinced to even like, you know, have Juan come with them and then like go find Adela. He has to be like convinced versus it's like whenever they're, you know, uh, going to like meet these people that are going to take them through the tunnels and all these things. They never once ask the questions of like, you know, of the people or anything like that. It's just like, yeah, no, come on. We're like, we, mm -hmm. we keep it moving. Like uh, kind of really showing this like all in together yeah. mentality, um, uh, which is, you know, something that they kind of sprinkle in in some of the other movies of like, you know, you get these un, you know, unwilling strangers that come together and then now they got to work together as a team to survive the night. Like that's, you know, very much in the purge formula, but I like them able to take that usual thing that they do, but then put a very, you know, relevant and personal take on it with, you know, um, with the clashing of cultures. What do you have? Because this is they move from like set piece to set piece pretty quickly. There's even like a children of, uh, I think it's children of man style, like single mm -hmm. take extended sequence, like moving through the streets is like the tanks are rolling through. Like again, trying to do a little bit, a lot with a little bit. Do you have like a favorite set piece in this movie? Yeah, I liked, uh, again, I like the escalation of the movie because again, we kind of go from, okay, we're going to do the taking of the farmhouse set piece. Uh, which is like small and fun. And then, you know, we kind of extend it. And I do, I do um, like the road movie portion of the, mm -hmm. of the film, like, and that's kind of what it mainly turns into into the back half of like, we just gotta, yeah, like no matter what, like go through it, um, which adds in some variety, you know, I feel like uh, there's not nearly as, not not as many gunfights, but of course we still got plenty of them, but like uh, not nearly of them. I like that we kind of get like a few of those where we get like a, you know, that um that little early sequence too, where like Adela is in the back of the van, uh, back of police van. We kind of like get that a whole little segment mm -hmm. of the, the truck flip and everything like that's super fun. And um, that's a scary piece right there where like the dude with like the swastika tattoo to his face and he's naming the gun like the type of gun that's going off like it's a and it's like like rattling off like it's like a, a genre of music the type of like gunfire that it is not gonna lie he sold me in that scene like he, he mm -hmm. that like that was actually i was like ooh, that's a that's a weird ass fucking thing because that is how like some people like get like fucking sexually aroused over mm -hmm. gun uh, you know i think guns are fine they don't get me going like that though and uh, so i like that they kind of throw that in but i would have to say of my favorite set pieces would probably be uh, I mean, I really like the final showdown, the final showdown in the, mm -hmm. you know, moving through the canyons was really fun, uh, you know, because at this point, this is where we finally get like, you know, Juan and Dylan, they, they understand each other now, yes. each other's backs and like they're, they're going to put it all on the line. And then you got the guy that has been on TV, which again, we always get one of these characters, you know, uh, in the film then 
him and his boys like they show out and like they they go pretty badass we get some bow and mm-hmm. arrow shit we get guns we get uh hand to hand like people are uh we i think we get a, a good amount of variety of the yeah. action set pieces in this one so i i'd say probably the final stand but that that one was yeah. a lot of fun though i'm a sucker for a movie that has a good action set piece set in an abandoned movie theater, unless you're Scream 6, apparently. Mm. Um, but other <laughs> than that, I'm, you know, because like, listeners to our Scream 6 show are yelling, liar. Um, but usually I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Like you have like Dracula playing in the background and the fake bat coming down and it's all spooky, scary. Like definitely give me, more things that I'm like, oh, there's a Bride of Frankenstein poster and a Creature from the Black Lagoon poster. Like, hey, what if we just like didn't leave and just stayed here in this theater and just watched all old movies till the end of time? I mean, I think that's that's a good way to stay away from the Purge movies. We mm-hmm. know people don't like those black and white movies, so no. they're, they're not going near that theater. But <laughs> no, and you get like a Jeffrey Donbros, who is who I thought was. um I want to say it's Lee Weeks. It's the gentleman who's he's been in a lot of the Rob Zombie movies. He usually plays like a scumbag in like the Rob Zombie movies, but he's also he's in like not House of a Thousand Corpses, but Devil's Rejects. He's one of the victims. He is the really skeevy attendant at the psych ward uh, in Rob Zombie's Halloween. Like he always plays a scumbag, but it's not him. It's uh, Jeffrey Donbros, uh, Dernbros who when I'm watching, he plays Elijah, who's kind of the big bad of the movie, the guy at the end, they have to. Oh, get yeah, yeah. Who. And I don't mean this in a bad way. I really don't. I'm like, oh, my God, that looks like my former co-host, Jerry. Like I'm watching that with like, the beard and the hair. And I'm like, it was really hard to get around that because Jerry is the sweetest, nicest guy. And here he, this guy is saying the weird, most awful shit. And I'm like, Jerry, no. If, if Jerry takes his glasses off, he turns into the, the us version of himself. A neo-Nazi. <laughs> it's his doppelganger. Yeah, I do appreciate how hard it was to get away from these folks. Like you have like, all right, now we're safe. And then you see them in just like the variety of what they have to do to get away like they have to escape the alleyway they have the shootout then they're like getting chased on basically the dune buggies uh and then you have that really kind of like shoot out of the okay corral uh type moment where they are in this little shed i am a sucker for the like mm-hmm. oh we mm-hmm. found these things we can use to give us cover in costume and then we're going to come out with uh the sheddies ablazing. like i am a sucker for that kind of thing yeah uh, again like the the variety is uh is really fun in this and yeah the elijah and his crew um you know as far as like the the secondary antagonist big bad or whatever like he's he, i mean he's fine um you know he's kind of just stereotypical redneck uh yelling stereotypical redneck shit and um mm-hmm. uh, it's fine but yeah i do like uh what you kind of highlight is they're they're kind of pestering nature of uh throughout this of just like mm-hmm. yeah they got into just like really got keep on going that's like oh we hit another snag but like how can we just like you know keep yeah. moving forward like no matter what we do we can't go back we can't like deviate and uh the way that they kind of keep adding that in we get a uh, ticking we get a classic ticking time bomb of a baby 
Um, so of course we got, you know, uh, pregnant Cassie throughout the movie, mm-hmm. uh, not gonna lie. Uh, you know, you know how the things in the work, uh, world of purge works. So if the purge is in March, you best not be having sex in June. Justin. No, why are you doing this? Yeah. Justin. Like, why are you <laughs> like, what is the major sporting event that would happen in June that you would like the masters? Like, Oh my God, Tiger Woods won. The masters so you have like the masters effect you know like no that doesn't happen um father's day father's well, day in june so we got married our wedding was on uh father's day weekend and masters weekend and we did a really small wedding because my wife is from the uk and she could only have a couple family members come over but what we did is we threw a party the next day at the bar that we met at we rented out the back room. We had some bands play. I wore a shirt that said groom. She wore a shirt that said bride. And we had like rockabilly bands play. Um, but Aww. people were pissed because it was like master's weekend. So like my wife's dad was like how it was. Oh, and the world cup. So he was like doubly pissed off. He was like, would leave the ceremony to go drink whiskey and uh, watch some soccer like during the like wedding ceremony yeah, and i'll never forget i'll never forget his speech like my wife could have married anyone and she chose mike and then he took a big swallow of whiskey and i think that was meant to be a compliment like you know that's what this man <laughs> is but it didn't sound like it it's it, he was a good man um hey at least you know he meant it and it sounds like the yeah. speech was earnest at least yes. <laughs> So speaking of maybe not so great men, let's talk about Dylan really quickly. And I just made a note of his like worldview or his point of view where in gout mentioned, he very much wanted to have the line in the movie. Like, I don't want to hear Spanish in my house. Cause he said that had been his own personal experience, like walking into white households. He had heard that over and over when there was like Spanish help, the white owners of the homes getting angry when they would speak their native language. Um, But Dylan at one point has that talk with uh, Juan where he's like, look, I have nothing against Mexicans. I have nothing against anybody, but I am just very much of the mindset live and let live, but maybe we should stay with our own philosophy. And on the surface, it's like, oh, well, okay, that doesn't sound racist. Everybody just live and let live, but be with your own people. But you just scratch the tiniest of surfaces on that, like the tiniest of scratches. And like, it's such a dangerous sentiment to hold, but it also is one that ignores where the power lies as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely like he, he delivers it in a way that, um, you know, yeah, maybe doesn't come off as bad, but it's like, no, like you're still saying that you want things separate and different, mm-hmm. which is still racist, you know? Right. Uh, and it, but, you know, again, it does kind of still, um, you know, uh, kind of highlight, you know, the mis- misconception of like certain things. Um, you know, I could even say that in a, in a real life context, like as much as like, I do appreciate the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. and everything that does. Uh, we don't have one of those for Mexicans. We don't have one of those for Asian people. And is it going to take one of those four things to truly, you know, get right? Or yeah. does it get to a point where it's like, no, we really need to just acknowledge that, like, we are this melting pot, this homogenous 
thing of you know different backgrounds and we like truly need to embrace that but it's like it, it, that still such a big concept that like will we ever get to that point mm-hmm. truly yeah it's one of the hardest things about building a broad coalition is that it's not a monolith uh, i mean mm-hmm. when you look at look when you look at ev- an evangelical republicans i'm just going to call it out they're of like a very monolithic culture they have monolithic beliefs and they're able to kind of like walk in lockstep with one another to achieve their goals, which makes it easier to do where when you're trying to build a much broader coalition, everyone is going to have their own agenda and everyone is going to have their own, maybe agenda is the wrong word, their own priorities as to like what they want to focus on. And also they're going to have experiences with persons under that umbrella that maybe haven't been the most positive. Cause I can tell you working with like some communities, they're not very friendly to the queer community. They're not very friendly to LGBT or trans persons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're, I mean, again, like it's, even though it should in theory mm-hmm. be easy to, to find this to where it's just like, no, like for everything to be, you know, all encompassing, uh, should be in theory easy, but of course, like it it definitely isn't. So, uh, I've, I've definitely sat down with like students that are persons of color or LGBT or trans. And I've sat them down when they've gotten into some, like some vicious, like one LGBT person yelling racial things and the person of color yelling like anti LGBT Mm. homophobic statements and class at each other. And I've sat them down. I'm like, look, I'm going to lay it out for you. People who look like me are going to spend their lives trying to make the two of you turn against one another. And they will do everything in their power. So you hate each other and ignore the real problems. You need to come together somehow, some way. Otherwise, we're all fucked. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to to be able to find a way to where like a film could tap into, mm-hmm. you know, a more, uh, yeah. you know, even more varied intersectional look at it because, you know, mm-hmm. even the first purge, it's like still kind of, you know, we got the white government people and then we got the poor black folk. And then this one, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, now we got the affluent white people and the uh, race, racist white people. And then we got the, the Hispanic group. So you, you do see some of like the native Americans come in. Like there's the character. He even oh says, yeah, like, that is true. Yeah, mm-hmm. We've been fighting this war for 500 years. So that was a great line. Um, the last thing I guess on Dylan, like in that whole worldview is when you say like, well, we'll stay with our own. It doesn't account for the fact that it's like, okay, well under the structure as it is and under the patriarchy and the fact that it's, seen as like a white christian nation that's where all the power resides that's where all the money all the influence is so everybody else would be getting the crumbs and there's not opportunity to advance or move up whether it's economically or socially so it's a very while on the surface sounds nice live and let live at the at its core it's a pretty dangerous worldview to hold yeah and and i'd like to say that i think I think the movie does a good job too of not making the ending uh, too uh, picture perfect, especially for yeah. Dylan, because 
Because even though like, yeah, Dylan and Juan, they like kind of come to their like understanding to a degree. You can also still uh, think to yourself though, like, okay, but Dylan is still doing all of this just so he can eventually get back to his wife and make Mm -hmm. sure she's safe, you know? So like how much of it is him actually still having a change of character versus doing what he needs to do in the circumstances. So it's like, I I like that the movie doesn't have like this, like extra corny moment between him Mm -hmm. and it's like, they see that they have the baby and then they go, okay, bye. And then they literally walk out of the tent and there's like, it's not like, oh, they're going to be best friends after this now. And like all these things will probably Uh, be the last time they see each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The only moment of redemption for Dylan is when he chooses not to shoot Juan and TT when he said, if you shoot them and kill them, uh, you're free to go. And he doesn't do that. Like he is like, he just basically tells him like, fuck off basically. But at the end of the day, like maybe he just sees them as a means to an end to get across. There's a bit of a change of heart, but let's wrap with the end of this movie. Let's wrap up with, talking about that because like this is a movie that is basically it is like the most overt political statement of any of the any scene in this series and that it's like basically they even call the persons there like the american dreamers like it is very much in at a time when this was filmed where and of course like immigration has been a hot button issue for decades but it was filmed during a period where there were just like ruthless positions taken and policies put in place by the Trump administration and Stephen Miller architecting uh, being the architect of those policies, which saw children separated from families and living in horrid conditions and squalor and incarceration in these encampments. Um, this is a movie that is asking like a plea for empathy for those persons and showing this is the kind of thing that these persons are coming to the country for. They're not coming here because everything is rosy and great in their home. If it's they're willing to stay in something so terrible, how bad is it back home? Please let's have some empathy for them. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I would say, yes, that, that this movie and I would say the other most political, I mean, they're all political, but the most political would be either this and election year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting the way that the movies approach them in va- vastly different ways as, you know, things were, you know, very uh, uncertain and scary, uh, you know, around that 2016 election and everything. So. Um, I feel like it's interesting that that movie, um, you know, even though it's the most political, it's also like the most cartoonish uh, Mm -hmm. of any of the movies. It's the most corny. um, And like, so it's like, even though they are still responding to the thing, they're like, okay, I know that this thing is actually very hard right now and we don't know how to deal with it. So we're not going to try to make like an actual statement on it versus in this it's like, okay, we've been through some shit in the past five years. And like, now we actually do need to like, take a look at this issue and like, let's actually take a look at it in a meaningful way. And that comes through stronger in this movie, as far as it being uh, more political, politically heavy, because again, like that's not my favorite aspect of this movie or Mm -hmm. series, but it is um, tied in very well with the humanity uh, a lot better than most of the other films. Absolutely. All right. Any final words or final statements? 
Yeah. I mean, again, this is um, at the end of the day, this is a very sturdy franchise. I, all of them are between three and four stars for me. Um, you know, I think uh, even at their best, they don't, uh, you know, quite hit the potential that they're always capable of, but at its worst, they are always still trying very hard uh, to do mm-hmm. something fresh and entertaining. Um, and so this film, uh, you know, kind of satisfies yeah, a little bit of everything that I look for in the Purge franchise. Um, maybe again, not as strong as um, tackling some of these things as strong as the other films, um, but still doing it very uh well and still proving that's like fifth movie in this franchise there's still plenty of gas yeah i agree i think we'll see a sixth movie and i think that will be successful and we'll see more of them in the near future as well because it's just it is ripe for more examinations all right let's wrap up with some plugs devon specter cinema club Yes, what's going down? That is the one, the correct podcast. Uh, It's the podcast I host with my buddy Garrett McDowell, and every month we take a look at a different subgenre and uh, or series or something like that. And uh, so coming up, we are um, of course with Evil Dead Rises come out. We're going to do Ash versus the Evil Dead. So for the first time ever, we're going to be Spectre TV Club um, and uh, tackle the uh, three seasons of that leading into Evil Dead Rise. And then we uh, have some really fun stuff, uh, taking a look at some horror remakes coming up in a couple months. And then our, of course, annual Pride Month coverage. So we got some very exciting stuff over there. So you can follow us at Spectre Cinema on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at underscore Daddy Disco. Excellent. Well, you can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can over on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Letterbox at Mike Jump Change. Go ahead and give my other show a listen, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, where we explore horror movies through the lens of mental health. Um, I've been hosting that show, usually with Jen and Laura for the past couple of years. They're on a bit of a hiatus, so we've been having some fun with it. We just posted an episode um, recently with Kay Lynch from the Salem Horror Film Fest. It was just her and I talking about her upcoming festival. We have episodes on Terrifier 2 coming out in April and uh, a lot of really good stuff planned there on psychoanalysis. Um, make sure that you are following our show on our website, podinthependulum.com, where you can get access to all of our back episodes. There's a spot where you can leave a review Again, and we're going to relaunch the patron here in April, but right now the easiest way, and that'll give you more of us, which, I mean, who wouldn't want more of me? Anyway, uh, the easiest way to support the show right now, go ahead and leave a five-star review and a few kind words, letting us know why you like the show. I'll say this, like with the Purge series, welcome new listeners because the numbers are way up. Um, March, which is typically our slowest month aside from February, which is the fewest days. March right now is trending to be the best month we've ever had. And outside of like that being in like not an October month is really impressive to us. And what we've seen, I see it when I look at the numbers, you see like a franchise all of a sudden that franchise has a bunch of extra hits that day. 
So you'll see people kind of working backwards through the catalog. Like, mm. oh, today, like all of the Halloween movies got a bump. All of the alien movies got a bump after that. And then our Texas Chainsaw movies. So welcome, new listeners. We hope you like what you're hearing so far. I look, I'm going to humble brag. I think we're one of the best at what we do. And that's because we have awesome contributors like Devon, Jessica, Nicole, Rachel. Oh my God, I'm going to leave people out. Brian and Steven. Nicole. I did say Nicole. Would never Nicole would twice. Nicole. <laughs> um, they are bringing like such an awesome like voice and energy to the show. And we're going to be keeping it going. And by that, I mean, next week, I believe just going to, oh, I forgot Ari, our newest member, Ari, who is amazing and the nicest person. Um, next week, we are going to be, I believe, covering the Purge television series. We're just going to do an episode and like an overview of the two seasons and how they like kind of like relate to and tie into the um, film series. It's been a fun watch for me so far. Hell yeah. Purge and pendulum ever yep. after. Excellent. <laughs> after that, we have a two series, uh, two movies in the collector and the collection that we're going to cover. We're going to go back into the cabin in the woods briefly for evil dead rise, which I guess actually takes place in an apartment building, but whatever. Um, so evil dead rise will be doing our coverage on that. So that'll bring our evil dead coverage up to speed. And then after that, we have our next series planned. Uh, I grabbed everybody's suggestion. I threw them on the random wheel of death and we are going to be covering a trilogy of films Hell House LLC parts one through three. So that is our next uh, big franchise that we'll be doing. And then we've got some pretty cool stuff that we're talking about. So until then, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed. Kind of sad to leave the Purge movies behind at this point, right? Yeah, I, I have a I have a little uh, Purge blues, not going to lie. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to have to go up and take up a machete and start knocking on some doors i guess that's what we're gonna have to do to slake that thirst all right everybody have a great week we'll be back shortly with our next episode